Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good morning, everyone. It's another edition of the Southern Fried Soccer Podcast. It is November 8th, 2021, and last night, Atlanta United did something that it had only done once before in 34 attempts, and that is rally from a 1-0 deficit on the road to defeat, in this case, Cincinnati, 2-1. The win secured the fifth spot in the MLS playoffs for the Five Stripes, which will be in the postseason for the fourth time in five seasons. The goals were scored by Miles Robinson in the 70th minute with a header off a corner kick, his very first for Atlanta United. And then Joseph Martinez followed with a golazo in the 79th minute, a fantastic goal. I've written a story about that you can find on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC, on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now, or on the AJC.com website. If you're not already a subscriber, I truly hope that you'll consider it. A uh, nice Christmas gift for the adults in your life. Um, great coverage of local sports, the Georgia Bulldogs, the Atlanta Falcons, the Braves, of course, in their World Series parade, winning the second professional sports title for the city in the past few years after Atlanta United won the MLS Cup in 2018. Uh, Georgia Tech, uh, Georgia State, Kennesaw State, local politics, local arts and culture, local features. We've got it all. For less than a uh, sandwich at your local uh, deli. All right, let's get into the details of the game, if we can. Atlanta United started out with a back five, which is what Gonzalo Pineda likes to play, and as has been the case in most of the games recently, with that back five, the team just did not do a lot. I don't think it's a function of the formation um, and the energy levels. Uh, I think the execution is a function of the formation. But the team just didn't come out like it had an interest in trying to win or that it had anything on the line. And as you all know, in fact, the exact opposite was true. The team could, with a draw, the team would clinch a playoff spot. It could have done so with other scenarios because it hadn't 100% locked in a playoff spot. It was highly improbable that it wouldn't, but, you know. And with a win combined with a NYCFC loss, it could clinch a home playoff game. And instead of coming out and playing as if it had something on the line, it just kind of came out as if it were Cincinnati, a team with absolutely nothing to play for. And Cincinnati, to its credit, took it to Atlanta United and really outplayed them in the first half. It was an odd thing to watch, but again... That's kind of been the case with this back five. 
because in my opinion, when Atlanta runs the back five, it leaves a giant hole in the midfield uh, behind Martinez where the attacking midfielder should be and in front of the defensive midfielders and two gigantic holes on the wings in between the wing backs and the wingers. So, for example, on the right side against um, Cincinnati, that would have been Hernandez and Araujo. And on the left, it would have been Barco and Bello. And there really wasn't an attacking midfielder per se, so there's a giant hole there. And so Cincinnati was just constantly exploiting that space time and time again. Now, when at halftime, Atlanta went in trailing one to nothing uh, after a fantastic goal by Cincinnati's Zico Bailey, uh, a goal in which Atlanta United really didn't pressure anybody on the ball. They just kind of let them have it, and they paid for that. Pineda switched to a back four. He took off Anton Walks, who was just the odd man out in that case. Put on Jake Mulraney as an extra midfielder. Barco dropped into an attacking midfielder role, and suddenly Atlanta United started to play. Um, started to create shots. They had um, – how many did they have in the first half? I'm going to look that up super fast while I have you. They had five shots in the first half, putting one on goal, and they finished with 18 and four. Coffee sip. To show you the production they had in the second half, they went from losing or they had possession, 54% of the possession in the first half to finishing with 61% of the possession. So they dominated the second half. They got the goals. They had a couple of chances earlier. Um, Martinez whiffed on a left-footed shot. Robinson had a shot go over the bar. A couple of shots at the goalkeeper. Uh, until finally Robinson broke through with his goal, uh, a deserved goal, because he's had many, many opportunities and just hasn't been able to convert. Uh, but none recently, and that's something that I've opined about on this podcast, because he's probably one of the better aerial weapons in all of Major League Soccer. But the people taking the corner kicks couldn't get the ball into the mixer where Robinson could go and get it. And yesterday they finally did. Robinson missed one with his head, and then he got the next one with his head. So that was his first goal in his 87th appearance with Atlanta United. So congratulations to Miles. And maybe that highlight will get him into the running for Defender of the Year because statistically, we look at everything. But Walker Zimmerman continues to get, from the votes I've seen posted, the love for Defender of the Year, and I think a lot of it is because he scored a few goals. But if you look at the defensive stats, Miles Robinson owns him. He's the, one of the best defenders in Major League Soccer, if not the best defenders in Major League Soccer. So anyway, maybe that will give him some love. So conversely, NYCFC was trailing Philadelphia, so things were starting to go laying out of his way. But uh, Castellanos, who finishes the Golden Boot leader, scored for NYCFC late, which was down to 10 men after Gideon Zelalem was sent off. So now that is who Atlanta United is going to play in the first round of the playoffs at Yankee Stadium. The league has yet to announce the dates and times for these games. Playing at Yankee Stadium is never going to be fun. A majority of Atlanta United's players, I would argue, have never played at Yankee Stadium because the team hasn't done so since 2019. 
games against NYCFC were at Red Bulls last year and again this year when Atlanta United played there. So it's going to be a challenge because the field is small. The optics are weird. Uh, but of all of Atlanta United's teams, I think this one might be best suited because it does have players you can pass and move. Uh, they just have to be able to, to play off each other. So, all right, we're going to get into your questions because a lot of them are about this upcoming playoff game. Again, you can find me on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC, on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now. And please consider reading the content provided by all the people that cover Atlanta United because they all do a fantastic job. All right, Christian, I'm going to work backward down my email timeline. So this is his second question. Uh, Christian Warren. I am pleased with how the playoff brackets turned out. We stayed away from our kryptonite teams until the conference finals. Uh, well, I, I would argue with you on that one, Christian. What are the two biggest issues we'll have to overcome to advance in the playoffs? I think another kryptonite team is New England. Uh, New England took Atlanta United to the woodshed. Uh, only one, I think it was one to nothing or maybe two to one in that first game of the season, but really badly outplayed. The two biggest issues are Atlanta United has one win in 15 attempts against the teams that made the playoffs. That's not good. Not good at all. Um, so Atlanta United has got to improve there. I haven't figured out how many games they played under Pineda against playoff teams, but one win is one win in 15 attempts, so that's just not, not going to do it. The other is winning on the road. Now, Atlanta United has gotten two very good results on the road in its past two games, but winning on the road is hard in Major League Soccer. Winning at Yankee Stadium is even tougher. That's the second. And the third is the team's lack of energy when it starts games. Playoffs are going to be one and done. Atlanta United can't just come out and jog around and roll the ball around and think it's going to win. So those are the three things. And second, our first question uh, from Christian. Thanks for being a great voice among the many that cover Atlanta United. Well, thanks. We are lucky to have such comprehensive stellar coverage. Thank you again. It seems that Pineda does not rate Mo Adams. He seems solid and he is experienced. Is there an injury issue or is he simply below others from an ability standpoint? Uh, part of it is uh, Pineda has said many times he does not like to rotate players when it comes down to uh, competing for the playoffs. He did last night. He put in Ronald Hernandez over Brooks Lennon as a reward for uh, Hernandez's um, work and training. And he wanted to keep them sharp in case they end up having to switch formations and stuff around in the playoffs. Mo is, uh, you know, I, I think that Pineda must think that he's not better than than Sadich or Abara or Sosa or Huzetu. Um, and that's why. But uh, Mo is a good guy. He's a very good guy. I would be stunned if he's not with Atlanta United next season. A lot would just depend upon his contract situation. I don't know if his, when his contract ends or if there's an option. I'm hoping to find out some of that information this week. But he's an inexpensive player, so Atlanta United would be silly to get rid of him. All right, now, friend of the podcast, Ben. Good morning, Doug. As always, enjoy your coffee. I am. Thank you, and I hope you're enjoying yours. With the players who were available yesterday, who would be your midfield if we started in a back four? If everyone is available, who would it be? Well, I would probably play one DM instead of two, uh, but kind of trying to follow Pineda, what he does, uh, my midfield would be Sosa as a defensive midfielder, 
Moreno as the uh, attacking midfielder and uh, Barco and Araujo as the wide wingers. And am I forgetting somebody? Um, probably Huzetu as the central midfielder. That's who my players would be. And if Emerson Hyman were healthy, he would replace Huzetu in the midfield. Um, that's if they were running like a 4-3-3 kind of a formation. Lance says, with Eric Lopez seeming all seeming all but forgotten, I would argue with that description, and players like Ambrose and Adams not making game day 18s, what's your best guess on players not returning to the squad next year? It's not that Lopez has been forgotten. It's that Lopez has got to win in training. And who's he going to beat right now? He's not going to beat Joseph. He's not going to beat Arujo. He's not going to beat Barco. My dog is chewing on my chair uh, right now. So I just don't see him returning. So just kind of going through the roster really, really quickly, because I'll be writing a lot more about this later. Hernandez is on loan, so Aberdeen may call him back, or Atlanta may work out a deal with Aberdeen to, to repay the $800,000 that they paid to get Hernandez from his previous club. Alex Dijon, you know, didn't play a lot. Wouldn't be surprised if he's not here next year. And this is not a knock on abilities or anything. This is mostly because they didn't play a lot this year. Um, I'm just going through them in my head. Sadich would be surprised. Eric Lopez, they may go out on loan, I would think, somewhere. Hyman, only because of his salary. He makes a lot of money. Um, and he's coming off a knee injury, but... That may be why Lenny United will keep him because they may not be able to get what they expect if they were trying to try to trade him. Again, that's not a knock on Hyman. It's more just a reflection of his salary in a cap league. Jurgen Dom be stunned if he's back next year. Josh Bauer, uh, you know, didn't play a lot. No Adams. It depends on his contract situation. Kubo. Depends on his contract situation. Ambrose depends on his contract situation. Franco Escobar is not coming back. And Efren Morales will probably play with the twos. So thank you for that question, Lance. Uh, going to Noah. Well, first, I take back what I said about Joseph last week. Noah was a little bit harsh on Joseph. Uh, clearly, I wasn't thinking right. Anyways, looking ahead, what will be the most challenging part of playing against NYCFC? Well, they're a very good team, for starters. Uh, if you look at their comparative stats against other MLS teams, they're among the leaders in um, goals, goals scored, chances created, possession, just about everything. And they were, uh, I think, second in the East in goals scored with 56, uh, tied with D.C., um, but the biggest challenge, again, is, is playing at Yankee Stadium in that tiny, tiny field. They say that it's – I wrote this yesterday. They said that it's like 70 by whatever, 105. I doubt it's 70 by 105. Um, hold on. I'll look up what the dimensions actually are real quick. Uh, I know that uh, I've read a lot about this in Atlanta United's first season. And, you know, there were some managers that actually walked off the field because they don't allow media on the field. I think for that reason, and said it didn't come in at the FIFA minimum. 110 by 70 is the FIFA minimum, and that's what they say Yankee Stadium is. 
Um, but it's much, much smaller. It looks much smaller because there are other fields that are 110 by 75 or 115 by 70 in the league, and they look so much bigger than does Yankee Stadium. So to me, that is the biggest challenge that Atlanta United faces. I'll let y'all take a coffee sip um, super fast before we get into the next question from friend of the podcast, Nick. After our tumultuous start in our season, I'm glad the team turned it around and has lots of promise for 2022. Here's a break before my question for a coffee set. Well, thanks, Nick. You're a giving guy. My question is more of a request. Would you share with us your entire MLS Cup playoff bracket all the way through to the winner? Oh, good Lord. Uh, yeah, I'm only saying it because I really haven't even thought about it yet. Uh, but let's call up the MLS playoff bracket. We're still waiting on dates and times. I I guess they're having to work with the um, TV partners uh, to uh, get these things sorted out. I'm trying to actually get the bracket. So give me one second here. Why don't they have the bracket? Well, here we go. So we're going to start in the West. Well, Colorado is going to win its first game against my uh, Portland, Minnesota. I'm going to give the nod to Portland, Kansas City, Vancouver. I'm going to give the nod to Kansas City, Seattle, Salt Lake. I'm giving the nod to Seattle. So all the home dogs are winning that one. Then you have Colorado, Portland. I'm going to give the nod to Portland because they have the playoff experience that Colorado doesn't have. Though I think Robin Frazier has done a fantastic job and should really be considered for uh, Coach of the Year. I know we won't get it because of the fantastic work Bruce Arena has done, but he deserves it. So then we get Kansas City, Seattle, um, which is a fantastic matchup. Technically, everything else, and I'm going to go with Kansas City in that one. So we're going to get Kansas City versus Portland in the conference finals, and I'm going with Kansas City coming out of the West. In the East, New England is going to win its game. Then it gets the winner of NYCFC and Atlanta United. We're going to hold on to that one for a second. Nashville, Orlando. I like Nashville's ability to grind out a result, particularly at home, so they advance. Philadelphia, New York. I really like the way Red Bulls are playing right now, but because they're not going to be at home, I'm going to pick Philadelphia in that one. So then we get Philadelphia, Nashville, uh, in Chester, Pennsylvania. Um, going to pick Philadelphia there. I think Atlanta United can get by NYCFC, but I don't think Atlanta United gets past New England. So then we get New England, Philadelphia, one and two in the east. I'm going to go with New England. So we get New England, Kansas City in the MLS Cup Finals with, drum roll, Kansas City pulling out the win. So there's my very quick off the top of my head, not fully caffeinated bracket for you. Uh, Kathleen, friend of the podcast. You've gotten that title now, Kathleen. Hi, Doug. How would you grade rate Pineda on his time with the team? What do you think he's learned so far about his players and being a manager? Fantastic question, Kathleen. I think uh, Pineda has done a fantastic job uh, with Atlanta United. Uh, he's now improved 
to seven, three, and three, uh, with a goal difference of plus nine, which is fantastic. But as he pointed out last night, the last time that Atlanta United was in Cincinnati, it was the day after, I believe, that uh, Heinze had been fired. They had 13 points from 13 games. They had scored, uh, I think, 13 goals, uh, something like that. It wasn't good. And so then, in their next 21 games, they ended up winning um, – How many points did they end up winning? Oh, a lot of points. Um, 38 points in their final 21 games, which is fantastic. Ended up scoring 45 goals. So they scored 32 more goals uh, under Valentino and Pineda. That's just that's fantastic work. Um, what he's learned about being a manager, uh, you know, sometimes you don't know what you don't know until you're put into that situation. He's learned that Red Bulls are a very intense team at home. Um, I think he's learning that this team is can be, while it's super duper talented, arguably it's still the most talented in all of Major League Soccer, can be a little difficult to, to motivate and energize. Um, and so that's a story I'm going to write later this morning that Pineda's got to figure out in these next two weeks. Um, but, but I think Pineda has done a fantastic job. And I'm really curious to see how next year is going to go. And now Umberto with the final question. How is it possible NYC FC is allowed to play at that pitch? Because it's their home. They don't have another one. It doesn't like they're getting another anytime soon. It's embarrassing for the league. I agree. Confusing for the players. I agree. And awful to enjoy for the fans. I agree. A big reason why MLS is perceived with an inferior quality versus other leagues. I disagree. There's 27 teams. It's only one home stadium. I don't think. If, I don't think when people talk about Major League Soccer, they say, "Oh, we can't take it seriously because one team plays at Yankee Stadium." Um, but it is a challenge, and nobody likes it. I don't. Even, I, NYCFC probably doesn't like it either, um, and it won't change until they can find some land somewhere in the five boroughs or Westchester to get a stadium built, and. Thank you, Dr. Fallis. I wish you a wonderful day. And then Adam, with the last question, with the team back in the playoffs, does this constitute a successful season for the five stripes? That's a really good question, Adam. Um, yes, I do. Because when the decision was made to fire Heinze, the goal was to make the playoffs, and Atlanta United did make the playoffs. So this is different than last year when they fired DeBoer, because they thought they had a chance to make the playoffs and they didn't make the playoffs, that was a failure. So now, yes, I think this could be considered successful. Um, as successful as they hope it would be, no, because they want to win the MLS Cup, but still successful and a pretty good baseline for next year, I think. Do you expect Joseph to play for Venezuela during this international break? No, he already had told the team before he needs to rest his knee, so I don't think he even got called up uh, for this time. Do you think, given the team's respective positions, he might prioritize Atlanta over Venezuela right now and try to wrestle the playoffs? Yes, that's why he's not – I don't know if he would have been called up by Venezuela, but that's why he's not – one of the reasons he's not going to Venezuela. The other reasons may not be they may not have wanted him for all I know. Um, but, yeah, so now he gets two weeks to kind of rest and recover. Same for Moreno. 
uh, with his uh, hurt foot. And uh, so I think you'll see a fully healthy and Santiago Sosa Atlanta United team, with the exception of Mo Adams, provided there aren't any injuries between now and whenever the playoffs start on November 20th. All right. Well, that is going to wrap up this podcast. Once again, I want to thank you all for your excellent questions. Um, I really um, appreciate you all taking the time and the energy. I'm going to try to have another podcast uh, this week, just talking about whatever, just to kind of keep some momentum going. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC, on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now, and I hope that y'all have a great day. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades, an AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. The AJC's trusted veteran political voices, Greg Bluestein, Patricia Murphy, Tia Mitchell, and Bill Nygut are the essential source for Georgia politics. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution's Politically Georgia. Sign up for the newsletter, download the podcast, subscribe to the AJC.